0: welcome to puzzling company your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries here are your hosts jared and zach
1: what's up everybody jared here and i'm a little tired today I just had a big sandwich and I think I'm on a little bit of a sugar low Zach.
2: Dude, I've been feeling pretty good. I had the gym the other day and that went really well. I, I was able to binge to i not to I'm humble, gonna, humble brag, brag, Zach. humble brag, Zach, okay, H- but I'm doing HBZ. Okay. I mean, that's pretty cool, but uh, <laughs> uh, um, no, I mean, I'm allowed to be happy about it. I, I'm just very happy with my, like losing the weight that I have been. And like, It feels good. It's like one of my big goals.
1: Meanwhile, I'm at my house trying to do morning stretches and want to die after 15 minutes of the YouTube video that's literally titled Beginner Stretches. You're at least trying it. That's all that really matters, you know? (sighs) Brutal. Brutal. We are not here to talk about our fitness regiments. Zach. Sorry.
2: I was just telling you how I was doing. (laughs) Sorry, Mr. Low Sugar Boy.
1: Listen, just don't be upset because I come at you about your humble brags like... We're all aware of it. We're all aware of it. I look forward to it a little bit too. Just like I'm looking forward to today's episode when we have the Wild Optimist back on as our guests and we got to play technically five games, but MSRP four games. It's going to be a great episode. And I just want to remind everyone out there that we are coming to you live here, Puzzling Company from the Deadbolt Mystery Society Studio. If you've never played a Deadbolt game, got to check them out. A lot of wonderful options, games that we have reviewed and we really enjoyed. But hang on, we're coming right back at you after this ad. Hey friends, Jared here asking you to join our Patreon community. Monthly support is a great way to help us in our mission of growing the at-home puzzle and mystery world. So check out our short notes or go to patreon.com and search Puzzling Company and find the membership level that's right for you. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. Here in the first section of the show, we get to talk about everything that we love about the games that we played. And we get to do that comfortably here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio, where We've got games posted on our walls. We've got a microwave. We're like set.
2: You haven't even talked about like the best item, which is the basketball hoop. We have the basketball hoop. Sorry. Not (laughs) sponsored by Deadpool. But that's ours.
1: We are looking for a basketball sponsor. (laughs) Yes. So hit us up if you'd like to sponsor our, our basketball hoop. Absolutely. But for real, Zach, tell us a little bit about the multiple games that we got to play today.
2: Yeah, so how the base game works is that there are two separate boxes that are two different versions of the story. One is, I think, Isabel's, and the other is Kira's. The narrative of it in the basic, without going into it in terms of what the game has, is that Kira and Isabel are two time travelers who are working together and their time machine breaks apart and they get stuck in two different parts in time. Don't you hate it when that happens? It happens to me every day, but <laughs> what happens in terms of the gameplay is that you, you decide to pick one version of the box. You can obviously buy both. We, I recommend you should buy both. Um, but you, let's say you play as Kira's side. So you open up the box, you get some paper instructions, kind of gives like a normal format of what most escape from the box have. It's like some paper, some tangible items, pretty much it. It gives you instructions on what you are trying to solve. So it kind of gives you like an overview of what you're trying to achieve you complete those things, and if you do it, you are able to unlock something that will tell you that you've won and will give you instructions for the mysterious third game in which that the two games work together. At, so you complete both games. You can play Kira's and Isabelle's, and after that is over you get instructions on how you play the third game that requires you to use info from both games and you have to play split. Yes. So Jared, I believe, played as Isabelle's, if I'm not mistaken, and I played as Kira's. So then we had to use information that we had gathered throughout the games and use material from both and work across from each other where we couldn't interact with each other in terms of showing each other items to try to solve the final puzzles.
1: Really unique format kind of a risk in the mainstream, if I'm being 100% honest, mm-hmm. um, which is actually one of the reasons why I really like what the Wild Optimists do, because last time with Flashback, they were doing multiple pathways. Now they're doing multiple games that come together to make a split experience. It's It's really cool. Mm-hmm. But w- why don't you kick us off, Zach, on what we really enjoyed specifically about this combination of games?
2: Yeah, I think the first thing we really enjoyed about the Time Drifters experience is that the puzzle's alone were fantastic yeah wild optimist i think does some of the best puzzles i've seen and really enjoy it as well as the tangibility of the items that you get in both of the boxes i thought were really well done it was just really fun i never felt like there was a puzzle that felt forced they all felt really fluid and they were like they were actually pretty difficult too compared to a lot of their experiences I I, it was a jump up in difficulty
1: i I do agree with that I think of their of their line of escape room in a box of escape room in a box I do think this collectively was the most difficult one yeah um but it very very tangible the other cool thing and this isn't a spoiler because you can see this on the box what you're working towards in both games is opening a puzzle box yes. Uh, Which is really cool because Mm -hmm. the whole time you're just looking at that thing and you're just like, I want to open this.
2: And it's interesting too because in both the games you use the puzzle box, they're different. Like they're not the same format. They have completely different puzzles that you need to solve both. Some you use multiple times, some you don't. You know, like one of them you basically, it's like the end puzzle, but for another one you use it multiple times to solve certain parts. But then you eventually will unlock the puzzle box. I mean, they were very well done. Very good material I had a great time with them.
1: And you said it already. I just love the tangibility. Like, this is a mass market game. Everything that you're getting is mass produced, but it still just works. And they're thinking of creative ways to use their puzzles, use their items. It's just something I've always appreciated that they're able to accomplish on such scale. I think it's a giant win for them. What else did we really enjoy specifically about the Time Drifters series?
2: Yeah, I think the format of the game and kind of the rest that goes with it, as you were kind of bringing up a little bit earlier... It is a risk in terms of that, in my opinion, you need to play all three of the games for you to get the full experience. Now, you can buy these games individually. It is obviously told on the boxes that you should play the full experience, I believe, and that there is another version, like there's an uh, like an Isabelle's and there's is a Kira's. Yes. There is like a, a mysterious third game if you play both. What I really liked, though, is the format was really well done in terms of it. I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was simple enough in terms of mass market where it had some difficulty in the puzzles, but the format was laid out for you. So you really didn't question like how this game was going to function, if that makes sense. But it is a huge risk in terms of like playing this game and you have you got to get people to play both of them and play the split experience. Some people are only going to buy one. How do you make that enjoyable enough that they want to just play the one experience? I, I think it worked out well enough.
1: Yeah, I agree. You, We love split experience. Yeah. And the opportunity to get to fuse all of these elements together from, I don't want to call them regular games, but from standard escape room in a box type of games mm-hmm. to make something more. It feels like they're pushing their creativity. In addition to, I believe this is something that just meets the times, Yeah. right? If you're not comfortable getting out there yet, if you want to stay at home and play a game. Well, here's another non-digital great split experience game where you know if zach is living over in alaska then i can send him one i'll keep the other one and we can play in essence one game by ourselves and a second full game together it's cool it is cool are you gonna move me to alaska are you gonna move yourself to
2: alaska if you pay for it maybe
1: alaska has no interest to me
2: it's fair i don't do cold
1: at all? Yeah, I'm. I love cold. You love. That's one of the the ways that we're different. I would just. I I want to be where the weather is warm. Put me on the beach. Yeah, I just hate cold. It just. I'm I'm not made for it. It's okay. Yeah. Back on what we were talking about. Where did you see some room for improvements?
2: Yeah. So the first thing that we kind of both noticed was the narrative. There is a narrative to the game. I kind of explained most of it in the beginning in terms of. Two time travelers from the future travel through time. Their time machine breaks apart and they both need to repair both their parts so that they can eventually meet back up. Yes. I don't obviously want to spoil what the third game really involves in terms of narrative, but I will say that the narrative is enough that I remember what happens, but I think it's a missed opportunity that time travel is the main component of the narrative and it really doesn't matter where they are in time. I what I mean by that, that we, I don't even know if we're told. Okay, so in one of the games, it doesn't matter if I remember correctly, and this is kind of a spoiler in terms of how this functions. One of the games really didn't ask where you are in time, and really didn't matter. The other game does a lot of questions about figuring out where you are specifically in time, right? Um, and then the third game definitely involves some of it. But what I mean by that specifically in the terms of missed opportunity is like, as an example, in one of the games, it time does matter more, and you have to like figure out where your character is specifically in time and place. But let's say as an example, my time machines in the prehistoric era. Even though my character's there, if none of the puzzles involve me like interacting with like a dinosaur or like a joke about like, oh, the meteors dropping, you know, or whatever it is, that would have been interesting. But this game doesn't do that. Like it goes, okay, you're in fifteen hundred AD, but you know, in let's say Scotland as an example. But there's no puzzles involving you dealing with that. Right, it just and, goes. Okay, you're there, and you go. Okay, I got to get out of here. That's and, it.
1: And I think that's. A, you use the the exact phrase that I was going to be. I don't know. If this is such a such a room for improvement, as it feels like a miss opportunity. Because when you're time traveling, I get excited about it. Because exactly, I, I want to know where we where we're landing. You know, are we in prehistoric times where I get to meet a dinosaur? The narrative that they told was fine. There's nothing wrong with it.
2: It feels like they they missed the opportunity of a fun interaction with being stuck in a certain yes, time period.
1: Yes, hundred percent agree with because that. Because
2: literally the whole thing is get out of there as fast as possible.
1: Yeah, it doesn't it literally doesn't matter where they landed. The whole focus of this entire game is on the machine. Correct. And that's fine, but I personally feel like you didn't have to do time travelers to do that. Like any machine could have split apart a clock tower, uh like an engine, like whatever. So I personally just, and it may have just been expectation management, but I personally just feel like, man, that was a missed opportunity to do some more fun stuff with with where they were narratively. And then second, you talked a little bit about this, but I just want to reiterate this is I would not buy and don't think you should buy just isabel or kira story agreed i think by themselves the
2: games are weaker they're like fine i think they the way i explained it earlier that i i still agree at least in my opinion i think they are fine solo experiences like they're good enough my issue is that they they're like a okay slash good game alone but they really need to have all three to played yes. for it to be a good slash great game
1: like if you're listening to this go buy both
2: yes you should if, go if you it.
1: just play one and ask yourself should I play the other one? You're going to miss it. Yeah. And you shouldn't miss it because this is really unique in the mass market space. It's worth your time and money. But what's hard is they offer them both separately. And I get why they do that, right? Yeah. I understand the logistics of I'll buy one, you buy one. That way I don't have to ship you one okay. if I both of yeah. them. Like, I get it. But by themselves, even at the price point, I've like, I think I looked up on Amazon, I think they're about $15 solo. By themselves, as standalone experiences, they were not the strongest of games. Put the whole thing together, it's wonderful. Yeah. Stand it alone. And, and I feel like we have to judge that a little bit because that's how it's sold. Like, that's how it's put out to the general public. Agreed. So that was just our recommendation for, if you're going to play this, make the leap, get the whole thing. I don't think you'll regret it at all because all together, it's really strong. Mm-hmm. Now, Zach, I want to move now to talk about crimes and capers a little bit. Yes. And I'll get into the format a little bit if you're okay with that.
2: Fine. Yeah,
1: gosh, I know I'm just the worst at describing. That's true. <laughs> crimes and Capers is really cool. If and if personally if I had to like pick to play one again, I enjoyed our time more in Crimes and Capers than I did in Escape Room in a Box and Time Drifters. Hmm. So the the format of how these game works, it's really cool. You in essence can divide the game into two parts. It is role-playing, which is a lot of fun, everybody. You can kind of treat this like a murder mystery dinner like you would back in the day. Invite people over. They give you really cool stuff to be able to do that, like costume recommendations and drinks and stuff. There's a host guide. There's There's a a host host guide. It's really cool. But in essence, the way that the game plays is part one is you are collaboratively working together on escape room-style puzzles in order to open up a lock. Mm -hmm. Part two then transitions into a more classic deductive reasoning criminal type of situation. And that's how it plays. And that is really fun, really unique. I don't see a whole lot of that, um, but it, it was fun. And Zach, why, what was
2: our number one reason why we enjoyed this? Well, okay. So I will explain that in both the games in the part two, they are a little different. Yes. Um, they are both deductive reasonings, but in one Lady Leona's Last Wish. Yes. I believe that the ending how it works is that you are trying to figure out a certain room that this event or where the treasure is hidden from the will. And so it is kind of more like you can split up into teams. It lets you like know, like, you can play this as teams or you can all go, all, all of you can split up in your own teams and go for it. And nothing was more hilarious than having the competitive aspect of seeing how we tried to see who could get it first.
1: It was a lot of fun to have a competitive element. And again, that's not in high school hijinks. In high
2: school hijinks, the difference is that you all still work together in the second section, but you are trying to figure out who framed one of the students. You know, there's some narrative that I don't want to spoil, but... Yeah. One, there's a student who's like, does a lot of things for students, like helps people like get grades, give them a steer. It's kind of like the dealer, like it helps everyone, but the teachers hate them. Um, and they frame the student for something for like a criminal esque thing. And so you as other students and cliques, so you have like the classic jock, the nerd, uh, the athlete, you know, like a bunch of different things what drama king there's yes. a bunch of like yes. drama club king there's there's some funny roles um but yeah you all work together to try to prove that person innocent and figure out which of the like staff is the one doing it yes but yeah they were really fun because i really did enjoy the deductive reasoning of the games um but i will say in lady lady leona's last wishes it was a lot of fun having the competition aspect
1: and and i i want to jump into our first like because it was the role playing yeah you it invites you into dressing up if you want to. Some of us decided to use voices Voices, because there is a lot of narrative that they encourage you to read out loud. And it was just really fun. Like what it was fun about it is, we talk about this a lot. Part of the fun in playing these type of games is playing them, being in the moment, solving the riddles, having the narrative. The other section is what we do on this podcast. The debrief for us is so much fun. But what was so much fun about this is there was so much talking on The front end, Mm -hmm. which we never talk about because we all had to pick roles. It was hilarious to say like, oh, Zach, like this character in Lady Leona's Mirabelle, she's really analytical. She's kind of like you. I think you should be
2: Mirabelle. (laughs) I will say her character, like they get uh, information that they get to tell the other players. It's so funny how much I would write like that in terms of like how I would analyze the situation, because she was just writing like this is fact one of what happened. This is fact two. This is what I concluded from the situation. You know, like stuff like that. It was it was pretty funny. You get you get to have
1: these conversations on the front end and and joke around. Like one of the funny things that happened when we were playing is um, we played the first game with four people. Yes. And the second game with five people. My wife joined us for the second game. And what was really funny was we were all trying to decide what role we think she could play. Yep. And I know her very well. And Shocker. And sh- she's a total teacher's pet. And I said that to her, and she got all up in arms. It was yep. like, I'll be the nerd. I'm not going to be the teacher's pet, which was really sad because I think the other four people at the table all secretly wanted to be the nerd. I picked what I would have been in high school, which was the jock. I've always been the nerd. So I wanted that role and then to see, like, my wife not have this moment of, like, clarity to see that you really are the teacher's pet. Like, yeah. it, it was funny. But again, like, I don't know another game where we were encouraged so highly to do all of these things and enjoy the front end so much.
2: Yeah, I know, like, Society Curiosities, I know we've played a few of their experiences where they offer a lot of that, like, drinks yes. and and music and I think dress up and stuff like that if you wanted to do it, but it's not, it's like optional things, but it doesn't require you to like introduce your character and stuff. They do a good job of like their NPCs do that for themselves. Yes, um, But that's the only game I, I remember off the top of my head that has as much hosting information in terms of like making it more an event. But this game makes you do it on the front end. And it, clearly part of the game is doing that even without the dress and stuff. Like that. So Absolutely. I really liked how that worked.
1: It just made the whole thing more enjoyable. The characters were memorable and the second thing is, and we're kind of hinting at this earlier, is, Zach, this is such a fusion of the different types of games that we play.
2: Yeah, I mean, it literally is like escape room-esque for the first half of the game, and it's light escape rooming. So it's like, I think it ends up being like six puzzles in each, but you basically have to answer three questions in each to one, unlock yes. the like box or the safe or whatever it ends up being that's the tangible item in the game. And then the second half is deductive reasoning. So in the first game, it's trying to solve an element of the will. And in the in High School hijinks, it's about figuring out who has been framing the students. Yes. So it was really fun because it felt like we got a little bit of both. Like it wasn't an insane amount of puzzles. The puzzles were fun. We completed them. You get to like open up the box. You get like that escape room tangibility feel. And then you get through it. And then it goes, okay, now you have all this info. Now you must do deductive reasonings and do like Scooby-Doo-esque.
1: And yeah. it was fun. And I love that because, again, I think this is the perfect game at an intersection. Yeah. So if you're out there and you're like, oh, I'm not too much into escape rooms, but I'm not too much into these crime. This is very light. The narrative isn't very dark either. This is very similar, in my opinion, to when we talked about Deadbolt. Yeah. It has elements of all of those, but what's nice about this compared to deadbolt is that it's sectioned, you know, I'm only dealing with escape room style stuff in the first section and only deductive reasoning stuff in the second section. But the other cool thing about it is that once you get to that deductive, you need stuff from everywhere. And it, it was just woven together really well. Like I would gladly get a big group together and play more of these. And that's the other thing that I would say before we move into our room for improvements is these games require a minimum of four people. Yes. And it was fun for Zach and I to get to play with more people. I'm not saying we always want to do that. We're a pretty stone cold twosome for most games, but it was fun. And to see that it worked because my hesitation with bigger games is always, it's not going to work. We're not going to have enough to do, but they did such a good job of making this a larger group game. Mm -hmm. We had to throw that in there as well, but... Zach, we didn't have very many room for improvements for this, but kick us off with what we had.
2: Yeah, the only real thing we had for these games was the hint system. Now, to be very clear, I think the hint system was very well done for part of the game. So to explain, with the first half being more of the escape room puzzly style you get a hint system for it as well as a combination lock checker. So what that means is like there's the combo lock on the tangible item in the game and you had to unlock it. But so you could go like, you could try and let's say you got it wrong. You could go to their website and test the code and it would tell you like which numbers were correct and yes. incorrect. Very, very useful. Very good. Wish more people did that on multi-part puzzling. Yeah, it was very well done. Now, I will say though, for the second half of the game that does not involve puzzling, there is not a hint system. It is purely on you to do the deductive reasoning of the game. When you complete the game and you, let's say, win or lose is when they give you all the information of, like, what you are trying to achieve. Like, as an example, technically everyone has their own objective in Lady Lady Leona's last wishes in terms of how they complete the game. So at the end, like, if I, like... I won the game for our experience with the four of us. Humble brag, Zach. Uh, well, you guys all just went way too quick and tried to jump the gun because you thought you had it, but you let me win. So I'll take it. Oh Man, I'm so good. Don't um, don't
1: let me get on my soapbox again about I'm gonna shoot my shot. Like I I will lose all day taking the last shot of the game. Me 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 me
2: me me. My <laughs> name's Jared. I had to go to West. I didn't want to lose. Oh boy.
1: I, I'm just saying, like I don't. I'm just saying I lost. You won, you played it, you played the long game, I played the short game, you clearly won, but all I'm saying is, you didn't like, you didn't Tom Brady me, you didn't march down the field and take the last second
2: shot, you kind of, you kind of won by default. Well, I mean, the fun part of this game, which we'll talk about a little bit, everyone can lose in Lady Leona's which is same with high school hijinks, you yes. can just lose the game. Um, so there was a chance I still lost, but it was a 50, 50 by the point that it got to me and I knew which one it was. So we'll, we'll, throw down
1: more about this in the second
2: section. Uh, Jared lost. It's all right. I win every game we play, but we'll move on from that. Um, but yeah, like the, the hint system was good. The only thing is that I could see if you were doing the deductive reasoning and you wanted kind of. Some hints to try to keep you like more so in In hijinks. And I think hijinks it matters. Because hijinks is a hundred percent collaborative. Yes. So I didn't
1: I understood like giving hints to like four different people or five in which care like I understood it more why they wouldn't do it in Lady Leona's Last Wishes. Correct. But I didn't understand why it wasn't available to us in 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 hijinks.
2: Yeah. I like I said to a degree I get it. Um, why they didn't. I will say this. We technically lost high school high. We hygiene. did. We lost high school um, high. The difference in the, also the game is that, like we said, in terms of the competitive version of Lady Leona slash wishes, we did have like a total four tries. The other three tried their chances. They lost. It gave me the opportunity to do like a 50-50. And I knew which one it was, so I, I was able to get it. But specifically with the other game is you only get one chance because you all worked cleverly. So if you picked the wrong person, you lost. Everyone lost the game. So we did lose and then it told us what we did I will say we lost because of ourselves, not because of the game. We clearly gathered all the information, but we're missing two kind of critical pieces of information that we just didn't remember slash keep track of. Plus we can't read. Yeah. So we, we unfortunately, it was on us while we lost for sure. Like we picked a 50, 50, we picked one and realized it was the other. And I was mad because it was the one I thought it was going to be. Yes. Anyways, I wish there was maybe a little bit of help to try to gather information in, in the hints for part two, like to be like. Don't not tell you the answer. Like I would be fine if there wasn't a solution part. So you still had to take the risk, but it'd be like very small hints, being like, Oh, you're trying to gather this or like, Oh, like almost knock out like a teacher or two or like a faculty. Yes. That way you still had to like, it helps limit it, but it's still on you to like figure out the final part. But I mean, that was really our only like room for improvement really in this, in terms of the crimes and capers.
1: I don't have a lot of, room for improvement at all for crimes and keepers like keep juicing those out i will keep playing them we will get groups together that was a lot a lot a lot of fun
2: yeah i mean they both were really fun i think that if i remember correctly i think one of them goes on amazon for a little bit more than the other one
1: i think it was just like a seller thing maybe like when we were oh, looking okay. at that like we'll we'll have links in sure, the yeah. in the show notes and you can check it out but I think all of these games are worth a try. It's really cool to see, again, the Wild Optimist bringing things that we so often see kind of in the smaller puzzling community, these differences in formats and really like I would call it innovation and then bringing that and trying that in mass market. I love it. I love it. I love it because the more and more that people get a taste for diversity of format, I feel like that just benefits the community as a whole because then it opens them up to playing all of these different sorts of games and they're ready to do so. Mm. That's going to wrap us up for our first section. We got Puzzles to the People coming at you next.
0: Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People.
1: Puzzlers, we need your help. We need you to leave us a five-star review so that more people can find us. It doesn't matter if you prefer the black and electric green of Spotify or the medley of pink and blue at Apple. Go to wherever you listen to this podcast, click that five-star rating, and
2: let's grow our community together. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the second section that is puzzles to the people. We are in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio today, as we have been the last few episodes. If you've not played a Deadbolt Mystery Society game, you should. So good. Yes. Really enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Great place to start. Definitely agree with that. So now we are in the second section. If you know this and you've seen some more episodes before, which hopefully you have, this is a section that I find crazy for me. Jared basically gathers information if it's um, through comments that people leave as like reviews for the game online, if it's looking up like other people's reviews, if it's looking up... I don't know, a topic that goes along with the style of game we've played today, um, but he just presents it at me at random and doesn't tell me about it in advance so that I just have to quickly think about it and answer the question. And We kind of have like a little bit of a back and forth. Well, Zach, we've got a super hot topic today. Okay. Losing. Losing in like, is like in the style of games?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like you mentioned it in the last section, like we lost as a group. We had one shot. Mm-hmm to name who we thought was framing students in high school hijinks. We shot our shot, and we were wrong, and we lost the game.
2: I was right, but I unfortunately also went with y'all, but it's okay.
1: <laughs> we group thanked you, in. I thought a lot about it, and I want to talk about it in the context of the larger formats of games, types of games that we cover, but you don't run into the concept of losing very often in at-home puzzle and mystery games
2: no um in most games that there is a losing element it technically is like enforced by you as an example let's say like an unlock style of game where there's a timer and like technically the timer could stop it i mean you could technically keep playing unless there's an element that involves like the app i mean like exit games you know some of those games they have like a timer quote-unquote in the game but like you could play as long as you want and go against the timer like technically timer can be over but like there's not a person here that goes, like, stop it, Zach, you're not allowed to keep playing. <laughs> Give you know, me that game back. Give me the game back. You're done. So yeah, like losing really isn't an element in most games, I would say at home because I think it's harder to I think it's one of those things that like people want you just to have as long as experience you want to complete the game. Like there's not like really a need for a losing element. It is interesting in this game because it does matter. Like I think it makes sense that there is an element that you should lose um just because of how it's formatted right? Like in terms of Lady Leona's last wishes, it's kind of a competition. So it almost plays like clue in terms of you get a guess. If you're wrong, you're out until someone gets out or someone gets it, or you all lose because you just don't get the right answer. Right. And, you know, no one gets the, like the inheritance uh, of the will and stuff like that. You know, in high school hijinks, it also makes sense because you, the difference is that you all work together the entire game and you're just supposed to gather all the information. So if you blame the wrong teacher or the faculty you know, person, you're wrong. You blame the wrong one. So there's not a second chance when you blame someone and then everyone goes, well, you're wrong. Yes. Um, So it made sense. It is interesting. I, I didn't really think about it at the time that that really mattered, but I thought it was really well done in these games and I could see why it makes sense in these and why it doesn't make sense in others.
1: I don't want to argue that it doesn't narratively make sense. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering in, I'm thinking specifically about escape room circles. Mm -hmm. Again, Different things, different advantages, different weaknesses. There is a lot of talk, a lot, a lot of talk about making sure that people get all the way through the game. And in terms of an uh, escape room, if you have a timer, get out before time is out. I don't know that I necessarily want to use the term win or lose, but I even remember having these discussion within owners in Murfreesboro about making sure that people get out or is it okay to just let them burn through all their time and not experience the entire experience. Mm. But at home, it doesn't seem like you have to do that, right? We talk about this all the time. At home games are a place where take your time, tackle this at your leisure. And then yesterday we ran into a game where it was like, boom, we lost. Like We weren't under the gun. We could have sat there for three hours and reread everything if we wanted, but we decided to go for it. We were wrong. And What are your thoughts about the general public? Do you think that they will be okay with that? Do you think this is going to be an ego bruising move by the wild optimist? Like, I'm I'm just, that's a stark thing to do to give people one chance to make one call. And if you're wrong, the game is over. When every other escape room in the box is more under the format of like, we're just not going to reveal this until you get the right answer.
2: It is something that is interesting. I mean, it's going to hurt some people's egos. It's hard because... I am not the average person who goes and plays like a random puzzle game and brings it up to like a family event and no one else there really has a lot of experience. It's like more fun. We play these basically professionally at this point. I play at least one to multiple in a week. My opinion on it is very different. I would say it will hurt people's feelings in terms of that. Any game that makes you lose, it's going to put people's intelligence to a a question in terms of like, that makes me pissed off that I lost. Like I shouldn't have to lose in this game. but I, like I said, it just works in these games. I don't think it's going to be as big of a deal. I think in other games with different formats, if they added an element like this, it'd be really upsetting. But for what they are, I think it works totally fine. So I don't really think it's that much of a risk in terms of the style of the game that there is a winning and losing element. I mean, some people will get upset by it, for sure.
1: To me, it kind of is akin to a lot of cooperative board games mm-hmm. that are out there where you are collectively taking on the game. Yeah, Even simpler games like when you and I have played Mysterium yep. in the past, and you can lose that game very easily. Yes. And you, the group is kind of okay with it. I think the struggle that I'm working through is kind of this adjacent conversation that we've had on other episodes, which is this is a one-time play game. Yep, Mysterium has a high replayability. Agreed. This does not. And I almost wonder if that is where some people will not like this, is, hey, I dropped insert dollar amount to play this one-time game, and at that end of that one-time game, we only had
2: one shot. If I had to compare the two, I think Lady Leona's Last Wishes will not have that issue, because I think, as I made an example of, I think it literally plays like Clue. Yes. In terms of... It is on you. Like you can force the timer element of like, I have to get it before someone else does. But it's on you like to solve the information. I think in high school hijinks, high I could see that argument becoming more of a thing because you are all working together and you only get one shot. So if you miss like, like I mean, like we did, we rushed a few things and we missed like two critical pieces of information that would have made it like very easy for us to know who did it. Yes. And because we rushed it, like we lost and there's no second chance. We just instantly got told like, you lost. Now you read the other envelope to see what happened, you know? And that felt unfortunate because we just missed two pieces of information. Like, I mean, it was purely our fault, but it, you know, it felt bad in that game more than it did, especially like, you know, we played with your wife and we had a guest, which was also um your brother and his girlfriend. So, you know, like in that scenario, like I know like how they felt about the scenario. And I was thinking about it myself, like how I truly felt about losing in that game But like I said, it felt fun in the other game because of the competition aspect. Like it didn't, no one got really upset. I mean, they were upset at themselves being like, oh, like I'm so dumb. I forgot like this piece of information or whatever, but it was fun being like, oh, you take the risk, Jared. I can't wait to see if you win or fail this. And then if you did, I'm like, oh, all right, I got it now, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think losing competitively, like that's fine. Like when we play crew versus crew or when we play other board games, it's like, that's what we signed up for. There's going to be a winner. Everybody else here is a loser. Me? Like, oh yeah, you've won every board game we've ever played.
2: You can beat me and pig when we play our basketball hoop in the office, but I've—I think I have. I think there's only one game you beat me in so far, which is what I don't remember. Actually, you know what? Never mind. I've won them all because there's not one I can name. So I'm pretty sure I've beating you. Uh, I'm not. We'll save this petty argument for another time. Oh, I'm so good. Okay, continue.
1: I have a lot of thoughts right now. My pride, my ego is being wounded. I'm about to lash out in anger. I want to talk about it in terms of losing as a mechanism for learning. Cause you know, this season now we're playing video games, mm-hmm. video games thrive on failure. There's always another chance.
2: Yeah. I mean, some games are made that you're supposed to fail literally all the time until you find the right answer. Like yes. that's how the game functions formatically that you are supposed to make mistakes right. until you get
1: it. Like I've been telling you, I've been playing uh links awakening on the yeah. switch. You fail a lot in that game trying to figure out how to find this, defeat this boss. But you understand that that's part of the process. Yes. But that kind of stands in stark contrast to this model of, well, what if you got to fight Ganondorf at the end of any Zelda game and you had- You literally get one shot. You got one shot. Good luck. Good luck. Like, you would hate that game.
2: Yeah, I would be very frustrated if I, I got to the final boss and had no chance to redo it. Yeah. If you get one shot, that would be very infuriating. Like In that I, scenario, yeah.
1: I guess, I guess in terms of the games that we played today, what you could have done mm. is say, okay, I lost. Let's take a second guess. There was nothing preventing us from doing that.
2: Except me with the metaphorical gun to
1: the back of your head <laughs> saying like,
2: we're not taking any
1: second chances, Jared. <laughs> it's just so interesting because I feel like also escape rooms get away with this like... Again, and I, I don't want to say like I didn't enjoy – I I had fun. I didn't even mind the loss that much. I'm I'm more trying to frame the conversation in adjacent spaces and in the world
2: that we cover. Jared, why are you crying right now?
1: <laughs> I just wanted to win so badly. I know. <laughs> I tried to put an innocent person in jail. Like do
2: you know what that – I'm sorry. They were all bad staff anyways. It's, okay. it's a, it was a terrible school. Actually, one of them was fine, but continue. Yeah, but it, it's so
1: interesting because in the escape rooms – if you looked at the national average of what people post as their escape r- escape rates,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the majority of the United States are losers at first-time escape games. Oh, yeah. But that seems to be okay.
2: Yeah, people are wrong with it.
1: But, that, but that's what I'm saying. That's the same methodology as what we saw here. It ends with a loss, and you kind of just move on. Because it seems to be that the mindset in all of these is like the experience up until the end is worthwhile of your time and money regardless of how you fail would you agree
2: with that yeah i think with how the games function it did i think it felt more like that in lady leona's than it did in high school hijinks in terms of like it felt more disappointing to lose in high school hijinks in terms of like okay like the first half was fun enough but like us failing it made it didn't make us feel good either like so we kind of like i wouldn't say regret but you you know we thought about it more on like what we missed yes But I think in Lady Leona's, it was as fun, like failing as it was winning in terms of like, I mean, it might stink if you lost, but like, I agree. like, I think we all had fun being like, oh gosh, like someone's going to get it before me. Like, you know, like I know you and, and Jordan in the scenario, both were looking at each other and be like, okay, how about we both write down our answers and we both try, you know, or whatever, (laughs) like joking about it. And I'm like sitting there like, yes, please. All of you guess. I need to know.
1: This is, we talked about this on another episode, but I just think there is more room to do competitive escape. Like. That was so much fun Mm -hmm. getting to do that. And I really, really enjoyed that. But can you think of any other examples of losing where it was placed? The other thing that we haven't talked about is when games do have a lose mechanic, how do you do that well? Because right now we'll be very outright we're working on building a new game at murfreesboro escape rooms yes we are and one of the big things that we are trying to work in is having a good times up narrative out for groups who do not make it out in time yeah right and that's something new that we're trying and we've realized over the everything that we've learned from a lot of people that are really intelligent that groups need to fail well yeah so what are your what are your thoughts on that
2: In terms of other examples of games that do a losing mechanic and how it functioned, there's not many. I I think of most of the at-home games we've played, there is not a loss mechanic at all. There are mechanics where there's a timer, but like I said, that's really the only forced element of it. The last game I can think of that had a pure losing element has got to be like the unlock games in terms of their app. Because that's the only game that like technically once the timer runs out and like you have to do an element where there is like a you know, there's like an element where you have to use the app. I mean, the game ends and then the app goes like you lost in terms of like, that's the only way that I know that I remember realistically that there is an element of that. Is that done well? I mean, in terms of an app, it makes sense. Like it works well enough, but it isn't. um, I I don't know many games that do it well, where there feels like there's a, like a good way to end the game. Yes, Like it kind of just goes like time's up and that's it.
1: It's it's like we said, because most of the games that we play are not built on that. Like, Failing in a game for most of the games that we play or losing means not that you used hints, Mm -hmm. not that you took solutions, even though that's a whole different conversation of debate. But I'm under the impression that using hints and solutions is part of the game. Like, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel any less smart for doing that. But so many of the games, it's like losing is you just couldn't get there. Right. Because they're not predicated on time. They're not predicated on taking one shot at the end. So I, I don't know. I just, I wanted to have that conversation with you because I was so struck by that decision. Again, not in a bad way, but I just wanted to look around the world and talk about losing
2: because mm-hmm. according
1: to you, apparently I do a lot of it. Yeah. We'll talk off air.
2: I mean, I'm leaving soon. So good luck. <laughs> good luck It's the competitive side of me. That's I can't, okay. I can't help it. Well, you know, I'm going to let Jared go and cry a little bit. I know it's hard. Um, but we are going to be right back with questions for creators.
0: There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is questions for creators.
1: Jared here again, asking you to keep your eyes peeled this month for your chance to join our email list. Signing up will grant you access to our puzzles almanac, which will be emailed to you quarterly. This almanac houses the latest in games, reviews, and discounts to all the games that you love. Additionally, anyone that signs up will automatically get three free digital games to enjoy with your friends and family. Keep those eyes peeled, Puzzling Company. Well, welcome back, everybody. Here we are in our third section of Puzzling Company, coming to you from the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. Having a blast today. We are blessed enough to be once again meeting with the Wild Optimist. Again, if you don't know them, that's Juliana and Ariel. We had them on about actually a year ago. It was February last year that we had them on for the first time. And really, with our returning guests, we want to just kind of pick up where we left off, have some fun with them, get to know them a little bit better. Let's jump right in and, and catch up with them. So, ladies, what have you been doing over the past few years? We've played... Some of the games, but what else has been going on in the puzzle world with y'all?
3: So, one year ago, we were like midway through the pandemic. So, it was a lot of focus on our tabletop games. We luckily had all these tabletop games we were working on that I'm sure we'll talk about later that you have played. And there was also a lot of thoughts about it was, you know, we were really in a virtual world and those were the types of things we we're designing. So, now it's been a lot of interesting back and forth of like, are we designing in real life experiences? Are we designing more tabletop? where's the world going and talking to clients and what we're deciding to make ourselves is, you know, such an interesting guessing game of what's
0: the new normal going to be. Yeah. So I think where we've landed at this point in terms of like, what's going on, what are we working on? Like it's been a mix of the two and it's kind of a, you know, here's hoping that all of these in real life things will actually go because you know there's there's one project that we're working on right now that is just such a bucket list like dream project if it goes but We'll see <laughs> this this might be something that we we never get to come on and talk about because it, we just don't know what the world is going to be like. Um, and then tabletop is, of course, like our roots and our love. And we've always got some some tabletop stuff going in the background, too.
2: So on the show we've had you on before, you talked about the limitations of mass market games, just kind of being limited to certain resources, material, so on and so forth, that it fits the wide audience. But if we were to give you a billion dollars, what game would you make?
3: I actually think, you know, a realm that we've played in a bit and we are continuing to play in, although nothing's hit because it's like winning the lotto, is um, working on a television show.
0: Um,
3: Not working on creating a television show. We have worked on television shows. And I think that that's actually my bucket list stream at the moment. You talk about a billionaire coming in, right? Well, those are the billionaires and it's getting to create a thing that doesn't have to necessarily withstand thousands of people. And where you might be able to cheat a little bit in terms of like somebody hits a button and that door over there opens, but you don't actually have to build the tech to do it. A PA can open the door when they hit the button, right? So you can design puzzles that might, without thinking about is this, technically possible but more about is this fun is this satisfying is this the best version the most exciting version of this puzzle or this game that we could possibly do and you could do that on tv because you know look the contestants are signing their lives away but then tons of people would get to see it and i think you know obviously there is a vicarious pleasure in watching people on a television show that's why tv is so popular so i think for me it would be You know, taking sort of the wild ideas we have that we tend to distill down either into puzzles um, for in real life events or um, puzzles for our tabletop games
0: and creating that incredible version that doesn't have to be fully realistic. I think for me, I go like kind of even more blue sky where you're like worried about, oh, we don't need to build the tech. We'll just have a PA do it. And I'm like, nah, someone can figure out this tech. Like I would want to make a giant immersive experience filled with actors where you get to like actually step into a world and there's all different kinds of crazy Puzzle tracks and quests to go on, and there's narrative tracks, and so there's just like I I love the idea of 100% just transporting people into an entirely different realm, and then they need to use their wits and their charm and everything about them to uh, make their way through it and have some sort of different ending and some sort of different adventure. Like that's what I want. I want to give people adventures and joy.
2: Before I ask you this question, we just want to say we do really appreciate what you guys do in the mass market space with the creativity and the new formats that you do with your games. This is actually a direct quote from your website. Our passion is designing new ways to play. We specialize in designing games, experiences, and immersive events that break the mold. Can you kind of explain to us why that's so important?
0: I think people underestimate the mass market in that I think the way To be successful in the mass market is not to just do exactly what has come before, but to think about how can I take, and this is on our website too, like take something that is familiar and engaging and fun and level it up and put some different twist on it, put something new. You know, we both come from that screenwriting background, and you always want to start in the everyday world. In the hero's journey, you start in the everyday world. And then they go on an adventure and it changes. And so I think a lot of our game design starts with, okay, what's something that people know and like, and then how do we take it and put a different and new spin on it. So like the two games that just came out, Escape Room in a Box is a brand that has been out there for a number of years. It's familiar at this point, but then how do we take this new spin to kind of have people be able to play it in a whole different way? And Crimes and Capers is an updated take on the murder mystery party. So I think that's really what gives us the entry into mass market is saying, it's something you kind of know and you kind of like, but then there's also something completely different about it.
3: I'm going to add on to that. Um, so I think there's two things I want to add on. We would not be able to do this without without the people at Renegade, without the people at Mattel, and without the people at Arcane putting trust in us. The way we want to shift a genre is the right way to shift a genre or will sell. So in a lot of different genres, not just in tabletop, um, a lot of different mediums, there's a like, no, I just want I just want what's been before. So can you just give me that? And we're being given a lot of trust to play and to come up with new things. And that's really incredible. And I'm really grateful for it. I also think, you know, the way we come at it is often there's so many games we play and we, play, we just play so many games, but we'll play and we'll be like, well, we like this aspect of it, but this part's kind of frustrating. And I think the murder mystery genre is the perfect example here. I had a murder mystery birthday party in like fifth grade right? This is a genre I have loved for a long time, but it was always a bit frustrating that you didn't actually get to solve anything. It was a fun improv exercise where someone at the end found out they were the murderer. Look, they invented, the people who did this invented a genre and an incredibly popular genre. So that I love, but that's what Julianne and I struggled with. We were like, well, we love this genre, but what's, what's the way that, Like, what's the version of it that we truly would want to play? And, you know, for us, it's actually getting to solve something. So then we're like, okay, well, what do we do? So you have to solve something. Okay, well, it can't be one of the players who's the murderer. That's, you know, that doesn't work because it didn't work in the ways we were discussing it. Actually, there's other iterations where it would, but for this, it didn't. Okay, well, then how do we, you know, how do they find out if they're right or not? And just sort of all... We, you know, there's the problem of this is, this is the problem we want to solve and then all of the logistics of how do we do it.
2: So in the many games we played, you've had some different mechanics and different formats, but specifically in crimes and capers, you introduced a new mechanic that's about losing. Why did you decide to add a losing mechanic into the game?
0: I think that it increases the stakes so much and especially as you said, the second part of it is sort of this big deductive puzzle where you are piecing together so many disparate elements to figure out, you know, the best, most logical solution. And so to, to have you really feeling like a detective, of course there has to be a way that you get it wrong, right? (laughs) Like we can't just hand everything to you on a silver platter. And then you say, okay, well, it's obviously this person, but what we really did try to do. and, And the feedback that I've heard so far on the game is that Even the groups who got it wrong. So, you know, when you make your choice, you're told to open an envelope and it either says you win or you lose. And the you lose one explains why it could not have been each of the other suspects. So you can see, like, ah, we missed that bit of information, but it was there. And then it says, you know, to read the you win, which does explain exactly how you get to that suspect being the correct suspect. And I think giving people that where they can say, oh, we were so close. We just missed that one bit of information lets them feel more like they had that full detective experience, even if they they lost the game.
1: So as we continue, and hopefully we will get to continue having you all on as the seasons progress, we want to get to know the inner workings of y'all's relationship a little bit better as it pertains to who is making what. So this question is all about if you had to say who you are, what would you say? And what I mean by that is this, who of you is more of the escape room person? Who is more of the murder mystery person? Like who is the Zoe Davis from the escape room movies? Who more is more of Enola Holmes? Who's deductive? Who's a little more like right brain creative? Who would each of you say is that inside the wild optimists?
0: I would say that I think we are both strong and we both love, all of the things. But if we had to pick, Arielle is the more narrative focused of the two of us. So she would be the more murder mystery. And I think I'm the more puzzle focused. And so I would be the more escape room style person. What do you think, Arielle?
3: I'm going to go the other way. I'm going <laughs> to go the other way because, and this is why, Juliana will sit and enjoy doing a three hour puzzle. And if a puzzle takes more than like three minutes, I'm out. So, in terms of a murder mystery and having to read a lot, and we, you know, in Crimes and Capers, we really tried to cut down the reading. So, everyone listening to the podcast, there really isn't that much reading. But I think Juliana, you know, for games like Sherlock um, is a great example. That game is too much reading for me. Juliana loves it.
0: Consulting uh, detective. To, there's a lot of Sherlock yes, games. Sorry, <laughs> Sherlock consulting detective,
3: and which is not nothing against the game. It's just not what I'm going to sit down for. But Juliana will, and will be so happy about it. So I think you're more the murder mystery because there's more reading. It tends to be sort of a longer, truly a logic deduction puzzle. Totally you. Escape rooms. They're supposed to be fast. The puzzles are supposed to be able to be solved quickly.
1: All right. And for all of our returning guests, we're doing a fun question that pits Zach and I against each other. I know you don't know us super well, but here's what I want to know. I know you both play escape rooms pretty regularly. I'm going to explain Zach and I's prowess in escape rooms, our strengths. And I want you to tell me who you would pick. I'm going to start by describing Zach first. So Zach, what I would say his abilities are in escape rooms is he is really analytic and he is probably the world's best searcher in escape rooms
3: no we both want him yeah can we both pick sorry
1: wow like didn't even get a chance to describe my own skills which i am still going to do now and i will let you further debate so yes zach clearly a favorite but I bring more of that big picture, making connections, team camaraderie. The only thing I will say is Zach is a little more pro hint. He'll take a hint. I'm a little more hint adverse. I'd like to figure it out a little more in the escape rooms. And we noticed that. Does that change your opinion about anything at all?
3: Clearly Zach should be with me and you should be with Juliana. I know. Because (laughs) I'm like one
0: minute in, I'm like
3: this Puzzle makes no sense. I'm ready to ask for a hint. And Juliana and Jason, who we also play with, is like, no, nah, come on, let's try it a few more minutes. I'm like, or we could ask for a hint because we're not going to get there. So let's just ask for a hint.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, very much like, let's just double check everything and make sure we're probably missing something with searching. So let's everyone do a little search right now because that's probably what we're missing. <laughs> like,
3: also, if a process puzzle is too long, I'll be like, or we could like, is there a way to skip it? <laughs> so... <laughs> If someone who is a good searcher likes to do the processes stuff and like, will ask for a hint immediately. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you're really awesome. Um, Jared, but, um, I'll take Zach.
1: And I know we always ask this question, but we're just super curious as much as you can or want to tell us, I just love hearing what y'all have going on. What's coming up for y'all in the next year. What can you let us and our audience know about what you're cooking?
0: Well, first I can tell you super clearly and not at all cryptically, the next Crimes and Capers and the winner is dead is coming out, I think, very soon, like in a month or two, I think that will be out in the world. And so this is Crimes and Capers, murder mystery style with puzzles. Um, This one features an actual murder and it is at a uh, music award show. So everyone gets to take on iconic musical archetype. So you've got like the country star and the rapper and the soulful indie singer. So that one is a lot of fun. And I will say to the, you always get documents for your character. So you get their uh, social media scroll and it's literally a scroll. (laughs) You get to see all the, all the social media posts of the night. Um, so that is a, Very clear thing that you can look out for coming out soon.
3: What can't we talk about? Well, Juliana kind of mentioned earlier we have an in real life experience we're developing right now that I'm just, I mean, it's the most exciting thing and I really hope it happens. A couple, you know, sort of in the normal world is if music festivals happen, we have a music festival coming up. We'll see. Um, We have a couple tabletop things we're working on. A couple that are really exciting, a couple that I would say you really are sort of next level new entries into the mystery puzzle genre uh, that, yeah, that we're incredibly excited about that would just be so different. And that's always what we love.
0: And I'll say we worked on a project that if it w- when it opens, I, that one is going, but it's it's escape rooms done in a very different way that is going to just be
3: epic. Epic is probably too small a word, actually. I I forgot about that. Um, Because we we finished our part of it. That one we should be able to talk about if we come on again in a year. It's really cool. (laughs) It's really cool. Uh, Oh, and then there's, you know, there's a couple other projects that we're hoping will happen that are also in sort of new spaces that we haven't worked in before that I think will be very buzzy and cool and some stuff with like with other really cool people that we've been wanting to work with.
1: I just want to say thank you so much, Juliana and Ariel for coming on the show again. We just love having a chat with you. It's just fun to catch up and see what's going on.
2: Yes. Thank you for coming on.
1: That's really going to wrap us up today for our episode, except we've got to let people know how to shoot the
2: wild optimist some love. What would you say, Zach? Yeah, there's a few different things that you can do to show your support to the Wild Optimist. The first thing you can do is you can just go to Facebook and look at Wild Optimist. You can find them on there, most social medias. You can go to wildoptimist.com and see all their stuff on there. As well as if you want to play any of their games, you can find all of them on Amazon.
1: And there's quite a few. All of the Escape Room in the Box series, like we mentioned, Crimes and Capers. Um, And hopefully we'll see some new titles up there soon with what they have going on this year. Mm -hmm. Zach, I feel like people can help us too. On this journey. Yes, help the creators. But are we not
2: creators as well? Well, we're not creators of at the at home games, but we do create a podcast. We do. (laughs) And you can support us. That is correct. You can support us on Patreon. You can go to our Patreon and look us up for Puzzling Company. And you can support us in any way you like on there. You can go follow us on social media on Facebook at Puzzling Company or Instagram at puzzling company. And the final thing you can do is you can leave us a nice five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast and uh leave us a review or you can also if you'd like you can send us an email with just saying you guys like the show telling us how you like me more than jared you know whatever or how you wish zach would just stop the humble brag show like whatever whatever you want to hear from it we're open to it yeah i'm if you know me jared knows me very well i humble brag all the time off it's air it's just
1: like it's all i hear about all day every day like i'm just so buff i'm so cool
2: yada yada like we get it i'm not even that buff <laughs> I hope to be, but anyways, you can support us in many different ways and uh, we've appreciated everyone who's supported us so far.
1: Yeah, we really do. It just means the world to us. Like we've said in past episodes that we have the following that we do and the supporters that we do. Thank you very, very much. Zach, where are we heading next week? What are we playing next week?
2: Well, Jared, I'm going to honestly keep it a secret. Wait, so you know? I do know, but I think uh, it'd be fun if people didn't know what's coming next week.
1: Wow. That's that's a lot of anticipation. I like it. I like your style. Thank you. Well, that's where we're going to leave it today. Next week, who knows? We'll see what happens. But for Jared and Zach, this has been Puzzling
2: Company. See you guys.
0: Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling.